to go ahead and, uh, and grab a seat. It's my privilege uh, this morning to introduce our guest speaker to you, Jonathan Rainey. Now, uh, for those of you who uh, didn't get to experience Jonathan sharing about his life being brought up in Mississippi back in February, you missed out, but you can check it out on our Vimeo channel. But uh, he's back this morning. A few things about Jonathan, if you, if you didn't get to hear uh, from him last time, he is the Seattle director of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. He is the football chaplain at the University of Washington, and I just found out that he is the co-football chaplain of the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle Seahawks, if you've heard of those. So that's uh, part of what he does is caring for, uh, caring for athletes in the Pacific Northwest. So why don't you go ahead and give him a warm overlake welcome. Thank you, Stuart. Well, good morning, Overlake. Let me pray and we'll get started. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you that, Father, you are sovereign. God, we thank you that, Father, you love us, God. We thank you that, Father, you sent your son to down the cross for our sins, Lord. And more than that, that, Father, he rose on the third day, God. You have given us your spirit, Lord that confirms and affirms our salvation, God. Thank you so much for your word, God. The sum that says your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path, God. We pray that your word would illuminate our hearts today. So, Spirit of God, we pray you take the word of God and minister to the hearts of God's people that they may be more like the Son of God. We do access in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's a blessing to be back at Overlake today. Um, before... Uh, uh, I speak out, it would be befitting for me to uh, do some uh, acknowledgments, and I want to acknowledge Dan Hamer, who was one of the heroes in my life, and uh, I love Dan, and he's such a great example for me as a young minister and his faithfulness and his, his consistency, and I know my, my good friend Mike Howerton is not here today, uh, but you guys have a great pastor here at Overlake Church, and uh, what a great friend, what a person who has a heart for the Lord and has a heart for people. And last but not least, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, acknowledge my beautiful bride, Cynthia. Will you wave, sweetie? <laughs> Bigger wave than that, sweetie. Y'all give Cynthia a hand. She puts up with, with, <laughs> with me and my mess sometimes. But I'm excited to be here this morning and to share with you guys about curiously strong faith. Curiously strong faith. I have a question I want to ask you guys. If you were the if we had the Seattle Supersonics here again, if we did. And Michael Jordan, Ray Allen, Kevin Durant, who was, uh, who was drafted here, and Magic Johnson, if you had all four of those guys on your team and we were down by two, who would you have take the last shot? For A, raise your hand. For Michael Jordan, raise your hand. <laughs> B, for Ray Allen, raise your hand. Lord, Ray gets no love. <laughs> gets no love. C for Kevin Durant. D for Magic Johnson. I see a couple of Magics back there in the back. Michael Jordan would take that last shot. Why would he take that last shot? Because he's consistent. Because he's consistent. Because he's trustworthy. When the game's on the line, to take that last shot. You've seen it over and over and over and over again. Michael Jordan hitting those shots. 
Well, I went to Morehouse College in Atlanta. I played football there. Can I get a shout out from Morehouse? There it is. <laughs> I played football there. And uh, at Morehouse College, my junior year, we were playing Tuskegee University, which is the longest uh, HBCU, historically black college and universities, rival in, our, in the history of HBCUs. We've been playing them since 1905, 1906, I believe. And uh, uh, I remember my coach, Sherman Simmons, sitting there, and he was telling me, he, said, he says, Jay, you got to make a play. He, he looks me in my eyes. He says, you got to make a play. I mean, we were, we were going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And, and the game was tough and, and it was hard. And, and Tuskegee that, that year had five guys drafted in the National Football League. So it's just crazy because University of Alabama and Auburn didn't have five guys. So that team was loaded with guys. And Sherman Simmons looks me in my eyes. He says, you got to make a play. I said, coach, why me? He says, because we trust you. And you bought into our program. You know our playbook better than any of, the, of, our, of our, our, our starters on defense. And we trust you. You got to make a play. Second quarter, end of the second quarter, the other safety, Corey comes off the edge and blocks a field goal. And there's a scramble. You guys know how it is. And the ball pops out of that thing and I scoop it up. And I take it for 77 yards for a touchdown. Dove the wrong way, I'm supposed to dive like this, dove like this. <laughs> it was crazy on national TV. And then Tuskegee was driving and they were about to score. And we knocked their quarterback out the game. And I said, uh oh, the rookie's coming in. And the rookie came in and I said, yeah, he's going to try to throw that out route. So I jammed the inside guy and jumped to the outside, picked the ball off, took it back to our 50. We win the game. And the coach talks to me after the game. He gives me the game ball. He says, you're our defensive player of this game because we trust you. We could trust you. Well, I want to talk about a man today that has curiously strong faith. And that person is, is Job. Anybody ever read the book of Job? Man, Job went through it, didn't he? It's kind of some tough circumstances to, to go under. But before we dive into the book of Job, I want to ask you guys a question. How do you define faith? What is faith? What is faith? To have curiously strong faith, you need to know what faith is. Faith, biblically, is a persuasion. It's to be persuaded totally, fully, completely. It, it means to come to trust something 100% to the point where you entrust yourself to something. I'm fully persuaded about my wife. Woo! Mm. Fully persuaded about her. I've come to entrust myself to her that we become one. But are you fully persuaded? Fully persuaded. Now, we're going to talk about Job's faith, but I want to talk about this. This sermon topic is, is really termed the two faiths. Say that with me, the two faiths. A little bit loud and a little bit proud, like you're black and you're loud, not black and proud. <laughs> the two faiths. The two faiths. One faith was Job's life and how Job was so consistent. We're going to deal with that. But the first faith that I think and I really think sets the tone for Job's faith was God's faith in Job. You guys remember the story? Satan is walking the earth. And he's looking for somebody to, 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 he's like, God says, where you been? He comes with the son of God and, and he says, man, I've been walking to and fro the earth. And basically that's a Hebrew idiom that says I'm looking for somebody to basically fulfill my ministry, which is the temp and accuse and that whole deal. And guess what God says? Have you considered my servant Job? 
I'm like, come on, God. <laughs> in the NIV, the Negro International Version, I'm like, bro, really? Come on, really? <laughs> really? You going to give your boy up to Satan? He says, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, yeah, I have. Don't think I hadn't scouted him. But the reason I hadn't did anything to him, because you put this hedge of protection around him. And God says, uh, you don't know my guy Job. Job doesn't just love me. He doesn't have faith in me. He doesn't just trust me because of the things I give him. He has faith in me because of who I am. Because of who I am. Get this. A lot of us as believers, we want the miracles, but we don't want the Messiah. And guess what? The Messiah has, become, has to become before the miracles. And God says, I'm going to put all my chips in on Job. I got you. Deal. And Satan goes and does what he does, and he afflicts his house, his cattle, and all those different things. And Job gets to this place where, where Job has lost everything. And the Bible says in Job chapter 1, verse 20, he said, then Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head. He's in anguish. He's in torment. He fell to the ground, and he did what? Worshipped. Question, when you go through your, most, your worst moment, do you think about worshiping God? Hmm. It's pretty amazing. It tells a lot about the character of Job. The Bible says Job tore his clothes. Yeah, he, he's acknowledging that he's going through a tough situation, but he says, he says Job fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said these great words that have impacted my life to this day. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord of the Lord. There are three examples of two faiths, I think, in the Bible. One is God with Jesus, that God trusted Christ because he is the God-man. Two, Abraham and Isaac. You guys remember Abraham and Isaac? Man, that's crazy. I, 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 love, I love the fact that Abraham's the picture of faith. Romans chapter 4 tells us that. But I, I want to ask people, what about Isaac? I mean, you think about if your dad told you to get up on some wood and he's about to stab you. What would you what's, what's really going through your mind? Like, okay, dad, yeah, I, I got, yeah, okay, yeah, oh, ooh, got a knife, oh, you tying me up, you know, what's really, I think, I think, I think Isaac had a lot of faith that he would trust his dad, but get this, Job had so much faith that he says, God, whatever you take my way, I know that you deserve to be praised, there's a ministry there, hmm, so the real player in this whole scenario is, God. This all started because of a conversation God had with Satan. Question for us. Could God come to, can Satan come to God and say, have you considered my servant, Jonathan? Have you considered my servant? Put your name in the blank. Have you considered? Have you considered? The reason why God had so much faith in Job is because of the faith Job had in God. God says, I can't trust you, Job, to go through this because, get this, if God was wrong, his whole personality, his character is on the line. Because one thing God cannot, cannot do, he can't sin and he can't be wrong. It's kind of a fixed game. <laughs> I remember old Sanford's son, uh, 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 TV show when Fred's playing the cards and he has these glasses he pull out of his drawer and, and he sees what's the cards. Get this, God sees the cards. He knows the end. 
I don't understand why Satan is having this conversation because the game is rigged. The game is rigged. But I want to let you know, why did God put his money on Job? Why did God say, I'm all in on Job? Because of three things. And I want you guys to write these three errors down. Number one, because Job, God had a proper, Job had a proper perspective of God's sovereignty. Say God's sovereignty. Mm. He had a proper perspective of God's sovereignty. He understood that God owned it all, that he was just a manager of what he had. So when those things were taken away from him, he couldn't get upset because he was just a manager of what he had. I remember growing up in Mississippi. Uh, we grew up, I was the youngest of four boys. And my mom, bless her heart, she was the sweetest lady that ever walked the face of the earth outside of my wife. And she was an awesome, awesome, heartfelt woman. We had a little three-bedroom, two-bath house in Mississippi, about 1,500 square feet. And our whole entire lives, my mom would have people live with us. It would be abused women and that whole deal. And it's interesting, when you're the youngest, and you guys probably don't know this, but we had to, I mean, it was the whole story about you take a bath after everybody else take a bath, and you jump in the water, and you you bathe in their dirty water. That was me. I was the youngest. It was terrible. (laughs) I didn't get my own clothes until I turned uh, 13 when I outgrew my brother. But it's pretty amazing my mom said this to me. I was 17 years old when I finally got my own room because people were living with us the whole time. I was 17 years old. She says, Jonathan, this is your room and you need to take care of it. She says, it's only your room because I'm giving it to you. She said, now get this. This is me and your father's house. But by definition, this is our room, but we're loaning it out to you and you're to take care of this space. It's to be neat. It's to be clean. It's, it's, it's to be smell good. It's not supposed to smell like a football locker room. It's supposed to have all the things that we said in here. There's no girls or nothing. He says, this is our, your room. It is our house, but we are allowing you to manage it. We're allowing you to manage it. Hmm. Job had that perspective. He says, yeah, I got all this stuff. I got the camels. I got the oxen. I got all this. I got the family. He says, but at the end of the day, the Bible says the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Do you see everything that you have as something that you're managing? Hmm. It will change your perspective when you see that God is sovereign over all, even your very next breath. Guess what he owns? He owns the heartbeat that's in my my chest. He owns the the air that I breathe. He owns everything. The Bible even says in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 19 and 20, he says, he owns me. I've been bought with the price. I've been ransomed from the the pits of hell. He says, he bought me. And as a result, everything that I do has to be filtered through the sovereignty and the management that God has given me. And he says, I'm to do one thing, that's to honor and glorify him in any and every circumstance. Hmm. So, as you think about Job, Job had a proper view of God's sovereignty. Let me, let me get, hit a little bit home with you guys. Now, I got a little son, and I love him to death. And Man, he's just something else. I think he has it out for me. Every time I take off his diaper, he wants to pee on me. And just, you know, just me and my wife 
try to have a date night, and he, he, wants to, he wants to wake up in the middle of the night. He's like, yeah, mom and dad about to have a date night, so I'm going to start yelling. And, and, and we have a little one-bedroom condo, and my, and, 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 and my son will wait till we get good and sleep, and he'll stand on the side of his bed and go, ha, ah, ha, ah, ah. ha. He just wakes everybody up, and he, he, but, and he, and he loves to, to have all the attention. Loves to have all the attention. And it's pretty amazing that God convicted me about this. He says, Jonathan, this is your son, but really he's mine. He's really mine. He says, your ministry, your role in his life is to steward him, to manage how you train him, how you grow him, how you, I've entrusted that to you. It's like the parable of the talents. Some he gave five, some he gave two, some he gave one. He says, don't bury the management that I gave you because you won't be blessed. Job says, I got it all, but it's really all God's. I'm just a manager. For you guys who are in here who may have great wealth, do you see yourself as a manager? For you in here who have kids, do you see yourself as a manager? You're just a steward of growing up young people in the ways of the Lord. For those of you who in here who are going through suffering, do you see yourself as a manager of, uh, of a witness to God? It's amazing. First Peter says, be, he says, be, be willing and able to give a, 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 an account, an apology to those who question you. It's amazing. We hear that word apology and apologetic, but you guess what? It's in the context of suffering. Get this. People come more to Christ in persecution when they see people rise through persecution than when they see people rise in comfort. So are you a manager of whatever circumstance God gives you? Job was. Job was. Point number two. Not only did he have a proper perspective of the sovereignty of God, that God's in complete control. I'm a manager of everything that I have, and it's all God's. But number two, he was passionate about relationships. Say passionate about relationships. Passionate about relationships. The Bible says this in Job 23, verses 10 through 12. Job 23, verses 10 through 12. Now, Job is having this conversation and, and he's going through this and he makes this, this proclamation in verses 23, verses, or chapter 23, verses 10 through 12 that baffles my mind. Job says, but he knows the way I, I will take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps and I have kept his way and not turned aside. The Bible says that Job didn't sin against God. He didn't curse God. He didn't do any of those things. This is the reason why, verse 12. He says, I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured his word, the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Verse, verse, 10 says, I, verse 12 says, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. He was passionate about relationship because Job made the word of God the priority of his life. He made the word of God the priority of his life. Man, that is a heavy thing to swallow. Now, there's some debate about when the book of Job was written. In, in seminary, we went over this, and they said some people say Solomon wrote it. Other people say, well, Job is the oldest book in antiquity. And it's pretty amazing whether Solomon wrote it or, or it's the oldest book of the Bible. The thing that's amazed me about Job is that he didn't have the full Bible. He didn't have the full Bible, not like you and I have. 
So what does Job says? He says, he says, he says, I desire the words of his mouth more than my daily food. All that means is this. Job was in relationship with God. So much so that he heard from God daily. He talked to God daily. He grew from God daily. He says, God, I desire you more than I desire my egg McMuffin in the morning. Or if you guys like Chick-fil-A, that, that, uh, little, ooh, that little rap. Man, I'm so, praise God for Chick-fil-A. I'm glad they came. Everybody stretch your hands to the, to the stage because it's a blessing that they're here. As a Southern boy, I love those chicken sandwiches. And as African-American, we say thank you. Amen. But he says, he says, he says, he says, I desire your word more than I desire to eat every day. Jesus said a similar statement. He says, the word, he says, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. He had a priority. His priority was the word of God. Everything he did in his life, how he saw life was filtered through God's word. Man, the word of God, the Bible says, is living and active. What does it say? I love you. <laughs> Come to save. <laughs> it says, he come by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It is a living and active book. Man, you want to have a relationship with God. You want to grow in God. You want to be able to go through trials. Get in the book. But get this. Don't just get in the book just to under intellectualize the book. Because the Pharisees did that, <laughs> did they not? They can quote all the scriptures, but had nothing of the power of God in their heart. Get this, I want you to get to know the God of the book. The intimacy with the God of the book. That's why Jesus says, I mean, that's why Job says, I, 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 he says, the words of his mouth. He says, I desire them more than my daily bread. More than my daily bread. Relationship is built on communication. Trust is built on communication. Growth is built on communication. I remember when I was courting Cynthia, my mentor calls me up one day. And he says, uh, look here, boy. My mentor is a southern black guy from Mississippi by the name of James Mitchell. He says, uh, I have one of your, I think I met your wife. He's one of these big brothers. It's like 5'11", 300 pounds. And, and, and he's like, I, I met your wife. And I was like, really? He says, where's she at? She said, she's in Seattle. And I was like, for real? And I said, I'm in Mississippi at this time. I was at Old Miss at that time. And he says, yeah, I met your wife. And I, I really believe that God has called you two to be together. And that's how my, Mitch talks. And, and, and it's pretty amazing that he, he says that. And, and, and I said, well, what did, what, did she, what did she look like? He says, well, she black and knees. And I was like, what, black and knees? <laughs> Y'all are black and these. I said, what is it, black Chinese, black Japanese, black Vietnamese? Like, no, no, you said black Chinese, something like that. You know, she's black. I called my wife, my wife said she's Filipino. And I said, Mitch, you told she was black and these. He said, well, she act black and she thinks she's black, so I call her black and these. <laughs> and so we, get, we continue to grow, and it's amazing how my relationship with my wife developed long distance, four hour flight. And I talked to this woman for three hours the first night I talked to her, four hours the next, and trust begins to happen. And God convicted me with that. He says, it's amazing. You get so fired up about this girl, but do you get fired up with talking with me? Because guess what? I'm greater than she is. She's special. She, and I call her to be your wife, but I'm greater than she is. Am I the priority of your life? What is our relationship with the word of God? 
Do you seek it more than your daily food? Old man once said, he says, sin will keep you from the word and the word will keep you from sin. Sin will keep you from the word, but the word will keep you from sin. Get this, Jesus is not a judge up there like, huh, I'm going to get him, I'm going to get him, I'm going to get him. That's not Jesus. Jesus is like, come on, I need you, I want you, I desire you, I desire you, I want to be in a relationship with you. Just seek me out, I'm here. He's knocking at the door of your heart. And he's waiting to give grace, to give mercy. Lastly, and finally, not only was Job had a, pro- a proper perspective of God's sovereignty, but he was passionate about his relationship. That's what got him through. But lastly, he had persevering character. Persevering character. Get this. We see the end of Job's life in James chapter 5. We get a snapshot of God's true intent. If you guys ever read the story, yes, the game was rigged because God knew the end of Job's life. And he knew he could trust Job because he had persevering character. James chapter 5, verses 10, through 10 and 11, he says, James is speaking about being patient and persevering through trials. And he says, my brother, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. The Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Get this. As I read through the book and I saw what Job went through, I'm like, God, why would you set him up like that? Why don't you just let him do what he's doing? And he's he's serving you. He's a blameless man. But get this. God's intended end was not to punish Job, but it was to bless him. How many of you guys have ever heard this saying said when people are going through trials? Why is God doing this to me? How many of us have said that? Don't raise your hand. I'll do it. Why is God doing this to me? Why is God doing this to me? It's pretty amazing. Job taught me something about that perspective because I've gone through some tough stuff in my life. I've had some abuse, I've, I've been lied on, I've, I've, all those things. But guess what? That comes with the Christian territory. It comes with the Christian territory. And I said, God, why, why are you doing this to me? And going back to point number two, I went and I read the beginning part of James. And James says, consider it a joyful thing when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience that you may be complete, lacking what? Nothing. And the Holy Spirit had me read that over and over and over and over and over. And God spoke via his word. He gave me some manna that, that got me through for that day. And I said, he says, what does the word say? And I read it, read it, read it. And I said, aha, I get it. What is God testing? You or what? Your what? Your faith. Curiously strong faith has to be tested. It has to be tested. He says, he says, Jonathan, I'm not testing you per se. I'm testing the faith that I have given you that's inside of you that it may produce more in you. 
He says, don't say I'm testing you. I'm testing the faith that I've given you. And guess what? There's an intended end that you will be perfect, complete, mature, lacking nothing. You will be better going out than when you came in. It is a process of refining. You ever, anybody ever seen gold refined? And when it's refined, the dross and, and is separated from the gold. Guess what? When God made you, when he, when he saved you, he said, you are gold. But guess what? You have dross inside of you. And that dross is sin. And guess how you get dross out of metal? You got to turn up the heat. Can't take the heat, get out the what? Kitchen. You got to, he said he had to turn up the heat not to harm the metal. A great, a a, a silversmith never turns the heat up so much that he will harm the metal. You guys may have heard this before, but when you refine the metal, the goal for the silversmith is to get the dross out of that thing. And the only way he knows the dross is out of it is when he looks at the metal and he can see his own reflection in it. So God allows us to go through these trials and these tribulations that when he looks at our lives, he says, "Uh uh-uh, I don't see Jonathan no more, I see me. He says, I see me because, or I see my son because curiously strong faith pushes you towards Christ-likeness, pushes you towards Christ-likeness. We're going to talk today when I go to UW, we do, I do chapel today at uh, 145 and we're doing a program called CLIMB. Christ-likeness is my behavior. That's the acronym. Christ-likeness is my behavior. Everything that we do in our time, everything that God does in his ministry to me via his spirit, via his word is to make me more like Christ. And get this, the wonderful thing I love about this is this, as I close, Job, out of all the persons in the Bible that the Holy Spirit could be inspired to give an example about, guess what name came to mind when he talked about perseverance? He said, we can talk about Abraham, we can talk about Joseph, we can talk about, we can talk about Moses. Oh, no, 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 no. When the Holy Spirit led James to pen that, he says, we're going to talk about the one who was the example, Job. Get this. What if God can use you in such a way that you can impact lives and you can be the example, not a example, but the example of that thing people are going through? In closing, I want to share a story with you. One of my mentors, a guy by the name of Ken Smith. Ken is an old country boy from Mississippi. And Ken is a, is a, man, he's a stud of a man. He speaks all over the country for FCA. And Ken shared this story at one of our uh, FCA training sessions. And he says, Jonathan, I mean, he country in Mississippi as they come. I said, what's up, Ken? He says, let me tell you a story, Jonathan, about trials and tribulations. And I said, well, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Dan. He says, he says, I remember back when I was football chaplain for Bobby Bowden down at Florida State. You know, these young boys don't know nothing about Bobby Bowden. They think Nick Saban's the man. And I said, well. Bobby Bowden was the man. He says, we were, we were with Bobby Bowden before uh, Florida State was a great program, but, but Bobby Bowden had such a, he was such a man of integrity, and, and, and we had a great chaplain ministry there. And King goes on, he says, but you know, Jonathan, I was called to preach. You know, I'm an old Southern Baptist preacher, and I was called to preach, and, and God had called me, I, I feel at that time, to lead a church. 
So I left Florida State, Jonathan, in 1983, 1984, and, and I went and I got, I interviewed for a, a pastorate job in Greenville, Mississippi. You ever heard of Greenville, Mississippi? I said, yes, sir, I'm from Tupelo, Mississippi. Of course I heard Greenville, Mississippi. Played him in football, good, good, good football players. He said, well, Jonathan, I went down to Greenville, Mississippi, and I, and I pastored a church down there, and, and I remember getting there, and we were preaching, and God was doing mighty work, and, you know, I was doing things with FCA, and I said, you know what? God laid on my heart, Jonathan, at that time to, to, to get all the athletes around in the surrounding counties, and I was going to bring them to our church, and we are going to do an outreach and share the gospel with those guys. I said, what a blessed thing, Ken. He said, but you know, it's pretty amazing when I, went, when I went to my elder board and I said, hey, guys, we want to do this opportunity to bring kids from all around the counties, bring them here, feed them pizza. We're going to bring a person in and share the gospel with them. And they said, Kim, what a great idea, but we can't do it. And he says, why can't we do it? He said, well, the elder said, well, Kim, we have a policy in this church. He said, well, yes, sir, what's your policy? He said, well, our policy is in this church is that we don't allow N-words in this church. This is 1984 in Greenwood, Mississippi, Greenville, Mississippi. And Ken sat back in his chair, thought about it. He looked at the integrity as he studied Joseph. He looked at the integrity as he studied Job. Now get this, Ken has two kids and one on the way. He moved his wife from Tallahassee bought a house in Greenville, and he contemplated for about 15 seconds, and he says, well, I got a policy too. This is what Ken said. He says, this is my policy. I don't work at churches that have that policy. And he made a choice. He said, Jonathan, I left Bobby Bowden, went to Greenville, knowing that God had called me there, and then three, four weeks on the job, I'm gone. I'll walk away. He said, they didn't budge on their policy and neither did I. And he says, so I moved. It's pretty amazing. He says, another church found out what happened to me right outside of Orlando, Florida. And Ken pastored that church for 20 years and grew that thing tremendously. And God used him tremendously. And he said this, he says, Jonathan, if I would have compromised my values, compromised my savior, guess what? God allowed this opportunity, not only for me to grow and to go where he wants me to go, but also to grow those people. Because guess what? Those people, those elders got ran out of that church because they were no longer fit for leadership. They were no longer fit for leadership. In closing, Ken shared this verse with me and it stuck with me for my whole life. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 3, he says, Do we begin to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation or letters of recommendation for you? Verse 2 in chapter 2 Corinthians 3, 2, he says, You are our epistle, written on our hearts, read, known and read by all men. He says, You are our epistle, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God on tablets of stone, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh that is of the heart. Ken said this to me as he closed that story. He says, Jonathan, guess what? People were reading my story. And he asked me this question before. He says, how many books in the Bible are there? I said, you know, 66. He said, no. I said, what? 
So you're a heretic, aren't you, Ken? He's like, no, no. He says, there's, there's 66 in the book. <laughs> but there's letters that God is writing. And guess what those letters are? They're you and us. He says, you're going to be the first Bible that people ever read. He says, that my statement was the first Bible that people ever read. My stance was the first Bible that people ever read. He says, Jonathan, make decisions knowing that they're going to read this before they read this. Praise God for Job. Praise God for his curiously strong faith. And I pray you guys would have a proper view of sovereignty, passionate about your relationship, and that you guys would. What's my third point? Anybody remember? Persevering character. Love you guys. God bless you.